Here's the deal. We started a series last week called Generous, and, and Dan kicked it off, and Dan kind of had this, this thought of when we come to the end of our life, when, we, when our life is over, and there's some qualities that can be said about us, and obviously there's certain qualities we'd like to, to have be said about us, but there's one in particular that we want to tackle over the course of the next few weeks, and it's that idea or that quality of being generous. And so today we're going to continue to look at that, and today we're going to answer the question, how? How do we become generous. What does that look like? How do we actually do that? We can say we want to do that, but how do we actually do that? And let me just say this, in case you fall asleep or in case you, you know, need to leave here for whatever reason, let me just kind of tell you right up front, okay? Right up front. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, and then you can disengage if you'd like to do that. Okay, here it is. Okay, ready? It's by way of priority. It's by way of priority. You can't just say it. You actually have to change your priorities in order to actually do that. To actually live out a generous life, we have to actually make it a priority. And in order to do that, we're going to look in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it open to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hand today. In fact, back on that table right there, there are Bibles available. Feel free at any point in the message to go back and grab it so that you can also spend some time in the Word of God with us. Over in the C1 satellite room, we have Bibles in the back of the room as well. Feel free to make your way back there and grab one. I'm sure Holland will get you one, so feel free to do that. But we're going to be in the book of Philippians today. And Philippians is uh, Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. See, Paul shows up to this place called Philippi, and his message was pretty simple. Paul shows up to this place, and he says, here's what happened, guys. We've separated ourselves from God. We've distanced ourselves from God. We've messed up. We've offended God, and we don't deserve to have a relationship with God. But God loved us enough that he actually showed up. In the form of man, God showed up. And he gave his life so that we wouldn't have to give ours. And Paul goes on to say, and when you turn your life over to him, your life should be radically changed. Your life should be flipped upside down. The way that you live and act and respond should change because of who he is. That every single time you say yes to Jesus, that your life is different. And we're learning that here at Valley Real Life, right? Those of us who are saying yes to Jesus daily, we're learning that when we say yes to Jesus, that our life actually fills up. When we live a life that he's called us to, our life changes. It's radically different. And that's what Paul is calling these people to in the book of Philippians. And so Paul goes to Philippi and he tells them this and then he coaches them up and then he leaves. And then he comes back and tells them more about how to follow Jesus and then he travels on and then he gets thrown in prison. You might ask the question, well, why did he get thrown in prison? Paul gets thrown in prison because he continues to do this city after city after city after city where he goes and he tells other people about who Jesus is. And there's a group of people who get ticked off because he continues to tell about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life as he came and lived and died on the cross. There's a number of people who get ticked off, and they get so ticked off they actually just throw him in prison. And so he's writing this from a prison cell in Rome. Some of you, I know where you're at. Some of you are like, I thought we were going to talk about money today. Oh, we will, okay? Hold your horses. I know you're as excited as I am to talk about money. We'll get there, okay? But way before we get to talk about money, who we're becoming is the most important. And so Paul calls us on who we're becoming. And so here's what I'd like you to do today, okay? If you got your notepad out or you got your phone out and you're going to take some notes today, whatever it looks like, here's what I'm going to give you five things found in this text. Five things. Now, here's the kicker. Inside of the Bible, we can find lots of other things that we should become, but for, for the sake of this series and the sake of where we're going to go today when it talks about priorities, I'm going to give you five things of which you should become this. And here's the crazy part, okay? Real, real crazy part. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, 
You're going to hear these five things, and you're going to get to choose which one would you rather be, but you're going to hear these five things. Those of you following Jesus, you're going to go, yep, that one makes sense, that one makes sense, that one makes sense, that one makes sense. And you're going to walk through all five, and you're going to go, yep, exactly who I want to be. But here's the crazy part. Those of you who are here who want nothing to do with Jesus, nothing. Like, you're here because you love the person you're seated next to, and you just got up this morning because they asked you to come to church, and so you just found yourself in this place. And let me say this, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Or maybe you're here because someone invited you to lunch after this, and you're like, I'll always take free food somewhere, and so I'm in on that. Or maybe someone was like, hey, you ought to meet this girl, and she's going to be here, and she's pretty, and so you're here because you think you're going to meet some pretty girl. I I don't know what the bait and switch was on that, but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. These five things, ironically, are the same five things that you want for yourself anyway. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of following after Jesus, you're going to find that these five things are exactly what you wanted for your life anyway. And so let's pick it up. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul's just going to start us off. And he says this, above all, you going to talk about priorities, right? Above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, listen, I told you about Jesus, and because of what I told you about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, your life should be radically different. You should live like you're not from here, meaning earth. You you need to prioritize your life and how you're currently living. Isn't that our everyday life, though? Like, it's one thing for us to talk about Scripture, but it's another thing for our everyday life. For instance, if I want to get into shape, guess what it's going to take for me to get into shape? I have to prioritize getting up in the morning and going to the gym. I can't just go get a membership and go, look at me, I got into shape. It doesn't work that way. If I want to be a better father, I have to actually prioritize being present with my kids. That means I don't get to go home and the moment I walk in my house, open up my laptop and start working. No, I have to be present. It has to be a priority in my life. If I want to be a better husband to my wife, I have to prioritize that in my world, don't I? I have to walk in and I have to actually spend time with her. If I want to be a better employee, I have to prioritize my relationship with my boss and my coworkers. It just comes in every area of our life. Why wouldn't it be true of our spiritual life? And Paul's saying we need to prioritize living as citizens of heaven, not as citizens of this earth. And there's some of you that you hear heaven and you're like, oh, heaven, that place where you get to float away on a cloud and play your harp and you get your wings, right? No, 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 no. In Scripture, heaven is... Heaven is where everything is God intends it to be. And there are ways in which we can live on this earth, living as if we're living in heaven, intending to live as God calls us to live. And so here are the five examples, okay? And all I want you to do is mark one, okay? That's all I want you to do. Just you pick one of these two, okay? I'm going to give you options and you pick one, okay? First one is this one, selfish or generous? Selfish or generous? Dan shared this last week, and I think it's so critical that I want to share it again. He says this, generosity at its core is a lifestyle, a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, all that we are, and all we will ever become as a demonstration of God's love and as a response to God's grace. That's why you just witnessed us giving a check, and we gave four of these away, of almost $18,000. Isn't that incredible what this church does when we're actually generous and not selfish? Isn't that incredible? We can celebrate God for that, right? That's exciting. That's exciting that we as a church came alongside some ministries and said, we want to actually be generous with what God has given us. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. He says this, don't be selfish. So if you mark selfish, uh, Paul says you're wrong, okay? Just helping you out. Don't be selfish, 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must act with the same attitude as Christ Jesus, what he had on this earth. Now, let me ask you a question. What was the attitude of Christ when he was on this earth? He was the most giving individual to ever walk on the planet. You know why we know that? Because he gave his life as a ransom for your sin and for mine. He's the greatest giver of all. And so if we're to have the same attitude as him, you think we're supposed to be generous or selfish? You mark one. Okay, you mark one. We'll come back to these. Number two, divided or integrated? Now, nobody drove down the hill today as you drove into Valley of Life. Nobody drove down the hill today and you're like, I hope we talk about integration today. Like, nobody was on that page, right? Like, you didn't expect that we would say, you want to be an integrated person. Here's what I mean by that, okay? There are people who live divided lives, meaning they're one way at a certain environment in which they find themselves in, and they live a different way at another place. We'll call them two-faced individuals. You know people like that, Right? In fact, I would guess that the the people who are here today who are super skeptical about this whole Jesus thing or about this whole Christianity thing, one of the reasons you're most skeptical about it is because you know two-faced Christians. And can I just lean in today and tell you I'm sorry? I'm sorry that you have to deal with that. I'm sorry that you know people who say one thing and they do another. I'm sorry you work for that person. I'm sorry that that you think that that person is a crook. I'm sorry that you think that that person has wronged other people. I am so sorry that that is your interpretation of what Christianity or what following Jesus actually looks like because it's not. See, it's my heart that we would be the same person everywhere we go. That when we walk into an environment that we're the same person in that environment as we are in our community group. Or we're the same person in that environment as we are in church. That we wouldn't live two-faced lives. Now, how does that happen? That happens uh, by intentionality. That happens by actually prioritizing our life. It doesn't happen by accident. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Hit pause. He doesn't say work hard for your salvation. No. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Meaning, when you said yes to Jesus, when you said you were going to follow him, what that means is that your life should be radically changed. In order to be radically changed, our priorities must change. He says, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, when you said yes to Jesus, your life should be radically different. And isn't that what we want for our kids' parents? Isn't that exactly what we want? We want our kids to live out their faith in every nook and cranny of their life. Students, you know this is true, right? Sixth through twelfth graders, you get this. You walk into your middle school and you see a kid acting up, and then you come here on a Wednesday night and you see that kid at Fuse, and that kid is all about Jesus, and you're like, that just doesn't add up. Or maybe high school students, you see the same thing, and you come here to HSM on Sunday night, and you're a part of our HSM ministry, and then you find out that the same person who is here professing who Jesus is in their life and all the things that Jesus has done in their life, you find out that they were at a party Friday night causing all sorts of problems. And you're like, well, you just live in a divided life. Don't we want to be integrated, meaning don't we want to be someone who is the same, with the same integrity in all environments of our life? Number three. About me or about Jesus and others? Which would you like to be known for? Would you like to be known to be all about you? 
the things that you pursue and the things that you desire, or about Jesus and others. Paul says it this way in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, meaning those who are about themselves, okay? Their God is their appetite, and they brag, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But those who are about Jesus and others, check out what he says in verse 20. But we as citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. You mark one. Which one would you like to be? Would you like to be about yourself and your own desires, or would you like to be about Jesus and others? You know, we've had an opportunity the last few weeks to announce something incredibly special here at Valley Real Life. And here's the deal. There's a family who came to some members of our leadership team, and I, I don't know who this family was. I, I don't want to know. Don't ask me, please. But there's a family who came to some members of our leadership team, and they said, we would like to do something incredibly special at Valley Real Life. We would like to do a, a matching gift, meaning we would like to challenge the church to be generous to the point of we want to match a gift of up to $500,000. We're willing to give $500,000, but all we want to do is we want the church to come alongside and do the exact same thing, collectively, the church. And before you hit pause on that and say, well, if I had that kind of money, I'd do the same too. No, don't, don't even start there. Start instead with... What am I going to do? How am I going to match that? How am I going to come alongside that? What does this mean? Because here's the thing. What I love about this family, and it's all been relayed to me, and so I have not had a conversation with the family, but what I love about this family is that this family said, we want to give towards debt reduction. We want to get towards, towards paying down debt. And before you jump on the debt is bad, you know, mountain and say, we're going to pay down debt, pay down debt, pay down debt. Here's why they want to pay down debt. Catch this, okay? It's so vital because it's about Jesus and others. Here's why. Because he said, we want to pay down debt because we understand that debt seems to be one of the things that is a hindrance for us to reach other people for Jesus. We want to pay down debt so that we can go out and do the things that God has called us to do in this area and the areas beyond to reach others for all that he is doing in us and through us and for us. It's not about the debt. It's actually not even about the money. It's about being about Jesus and others. And so can we just take a second? Can we just thank God for some generous people in our church? Can we just thank God for that? Now, here's the thing, okay? I don't, I don't want you to miss this. You didn't thank God for that family. You thanked God for us as a church. You thank God for us collectively as a church because we're going to match that. And the reason we're going to match that is because we're going to be about Jesus and others. It's not about the money. It's about reaching others for Jesus because of who he is and what he's done in us and through us and for us. See, it's the one thing that I love about this, this generation coming up behind me called the millennials. You know that they get a bad rap. You know that, right? They get a bad rap. But what I love about millennials is that they refuse, I mean absolutely refuse to, be about, to not be about something bigger than themselves. They refuse that, and so uh, that's what Jesus calls us to, to live that way, to live about something bigger, not just our own little desires. Number four, stressed or peaceful. You pick one, okay? You pick one. We'll, we'll come back to these. Stressed or peaceful. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which, extends, or which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul says there's a way you can live with peace. Here's what I want you to do, okay? This is an all-skate. Everybody gets to participate, okay? Everybody. Take your hand, okay? Do this. Everybody. I won't keep going until everybody does this. 
Okay. Overflow, you got this? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Take everything you're worried about, all your stress, all your anxiety, all the things that you're worried about, and just put it in this hand, okay? It's pretty weighty, right? Like, it gets pretty heavy, doesn't it? Now, here's what I want you to do. In your other hand, take everything God can do and just put it in that hand and then compare, right? It's pretty easy to realize that God is capable, right? It's pretty easy to realize that God can take care of it, right? It's pretty easy to understand that God is in control. And so all the things that you're worried about, God says, no, 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 no. Put it here and you're going to have peace. You're going to experience peace when you place it in my hands. When's it going to talk about money? (laughs) You're dying to talk about money, aren't you? Gosh, we'll get there. Number five discontent or content. Now, Dan's going to hit this one next week, so I'm not going to hit it very hard, but let me just say this, okay? I have a one-year-old. Her name is Ezra. I have to ask myself this question. Would I rather have a content Ezra or a discontent Ezra? (laughs) It's pretty simple, right? In the same way, I've got, you know, a seven-year-old daughter named Kendall, and Kendall loves Legos. If I put Kendall in her room with all of her favorite Legos and she plays with all of her Legos, everything is fine. She is content until, until I send my five-year-old son Dax into the room with a better set of Legos. Guess what happens? She's no longer content. We could talk about grown men and vehicles. We could talk about families and homes. We could talk about employees and positions of power. Which would you rather be, content or discontent? Now, you've got your five things marked, right? Like everybody's played along, everybody's participated. You've picked five characteristics that you want to be known for. And it's pretty simple, right? It's pretty easy. And my guess is that unless you're a screwed up individual, you probably stayed on one side of the column, right? You probably were just on one side. It was really easy to make those choices. But just like it's my desire to get into shape, it only takes place if my desire changes my priorities. If I want to be a better father, it only comes to fruition if my priorities about that change. If I desire to be a better employee, it's only if my desires change. You understand all of this. So you ready to unpack it now? So the question now becomes, how do we do this? How do we actually move from one side of the column to the other side of the column? If it's a desire to be generous, if it's a desire to be integrated, if it's a desire to be about Jesus and others, if it's a desire to be peaceful, if it's a desire to be content, hear me, church, our priorities must change. And here's where money comes in. And a lot of you pump it on the brakes, like, why does the church always have to talk about money? Here's why. Because Jesus, one out of every 10 verses in the Bible that Jesus speaks is about money. 16 out of 36 parables, Jesus talks about money. Want to know why? Not because God doesn't need your stuff, okay? Not because he wants to ruin your day, but because money is a part of every single one of our lives. And if we're really going to be changed, if we're really going to be citizens of heaven, if we're really going to look like him, then we have to walk out what he says, We can't say, God, I'm interested in all that you have for me except this one category of my life because if that's the category that we choose to push to the side, then what is our priority? So instead, let's invite God into every aspect of our life and let's run this through the filter of money because money, how we act and how we think and how we feel about money reflects our priorities. So if you want to be a person who's more generous than selfish, what do you think you have to do with money? Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. 
And if you do, says the Lord of the heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me, put me to the test. It's one of the only times in scripture that God says, put me to the test. If you want to be divided or integrated, let's run this through the filter of, of who Jesus is. If Jesus was the greatest giver of all and our goal is to look more and more like Jesus every single day, that we reflect him every single day, what do you think we ought to do with money? Shouldn't our faith impact how we think and act and feel? And if we're going to be about me, guess what, church? I know exactly what I need to do if I want to be all about me. But if I want to be about Jesus and others, what do you think I have to do with money? If I want to live stressed lives, I know how to live a stressed life. I'm going to run up a credit card bill. I'm going to uh, spend more money than I have three times over, right? But if we want to live peaceful lives, who do we put our trust in? If we want to live peaceful lives, what do we do with money? When it comes to being content, how we learn to be content if we can't learn to live on less? What do you think we ought to do with money? Here, here's the upside, okay? What we do with money will shape who we become. And I would bet that after all of these questions, as we ran through the filter of this idea of money, you know exactly what to do with your money. You just don't like it. You don't want to say it out loud. You don't want it to get real. See, if you want to move from selfish to generous, if you want to be integrated, if you want to be about others and not just yourself, if you want to be peaceful instead of stress, if you want to be content instead of discontent, what do you think you ought to do with money? Turn to your neighbor and tell him what you should do. I'll wait. Oh, didn't that sting a little bit? You're like, well, this guy stopped talking. You know it's right. If you actually want to move from one side of the column to the other side of the column, what do you have to do? You have to give. And Jesus was so truthful when he came to this earth and he lived and he died and he gave his life for you. He was so truthful in this area because it starts with your priorities. And so how do we do that? How do we actually do that? Because for so many of us in this room, it, it, it's countercultural. For so many of us in this room, it, it's hard. And so let's walk through these three things. We'll get out of here. Number one, talk about your identity. Talk about your identity. Who do you want to be? Today when you go to lunch or today when you get in your car, or this week when you get in your community group, talk about your identity. Who do you want to be? How do you want to be described? When people talk about you, is it selfish or generous, about God and others or about yourself? Are you at peace or are you stressed? Talk about your identity and then make a plan of how you're going to follow through with that identity. Because here's the thing. You can't, you can't talk about your identity and make a plan without actually tackling the subject of finances. It's impossible. Without tackling the, the subject of investment, it's impossible. In the same way, okay? In the same way, if I want to be a better husband to my wife, guess what? It's going to take investment on my part to do that. It's going to take some investment. I can't just walk into my house and treat my wife the exact same way and expect that I'm going to become a better husband. It doesn't work that way, correct? Why would we think differently when it comes to changing our identity? As a parent, I can't say, you know what, I want to be a better parent to my kids and not love my kids any more than I currently am with the time and the treasure and the ability that I have to do that for them. It just doesn't work if I don't put investment into it. Why do we think that that would change our identity if we weren't willing to invest more in who we're becoming? Number two, give first. Why? Because order matters. Give first because order matters. Let's say I have 10 $1 bills, and Scripture talks about a tithe being 10%, and so that's obviously $1 bill. Which would I give to God if I had 10 $1 bills? Which one would I give him? Help me out, church. 
The first one, why do you say that? Because it's on the screen behind you, Ryan, that's why, right? You know that, right? And here's the deal. Most of us don't give the first one. Here's why. Most of us give the leftovers. Most of us pay up front. I got to do this. I got to pay for this. I got to pay for this. I got to pay for this. And if there's anything left, God, I will give you this. You know what that's called? That's not a tithe. That's a tip. And most Christians are tippers, not tithers. I love what Dan talked about last week. When Dan shared that the thing that about money is that it was never really ours to begin with. Like it wasn't yours, it wasn't mine. God gave us the ability to make money. God gave us the ability to earn that. It was God's all along. And it's really easy to give money when it's not yours, isn't it? You know how I know that? I know that because of things called uh, business accounts, right? right? Business expenses that you have at your work. When you take a client out for lunch or you take a client to the golf course or whatever that is that you, you try to earn that or business, what do you do? You say, get anything you want on the menu. Have fun, right? You know why it's so easy to do that? Because it's not your money. In the same way, we need to give first because it wasn't really ours to begin with. We have to give it over to him because order matters. In fact, there's a family that, that attends church here named Paul and Heather Crooks. And they've learned this. They learned it kind of the hard way, but they learned it, and it's allowed them to be transformed in their following of Jesus. I'd like you to catch their videos. Check this out. In the area of giving our treasures, uh, part of our story has been we, uh, we've always given, but we went through the FPU class years ago and, um, and tried to work on setting some goals to pay off debt. Over time, without even knowing it, started to overshadow um, our our focus of honoring God first in, in our tithe. God brought about friends in our lives to gently uh, remind us and show us that we were, we were not um, giving God our best and our first fruits in the tithe. And that was a difficult, uh, just hard to hear, but you know, it was really important for us. Um, the Proverbs 3.9 was a verse that surfaced uh, for us that really brought that out, saying, you know, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. And what had happened for us was we, we stopped. It's, we started giving God more of a, it was more like auto bill pay and it became an afterthought. Tithe went from very a worshipful act to just kind of an afterthought and we needed to be reminded of that. And so we made those changes to, to stop being afraid of trusting God and choosing to trust Him and honor Him in an act of worship and giving Him our very best as soon as we got paid. And that that putting that envelope in the bucket for us instead of doing bill pay was a huge change for us. And it became an act of worship. And as a result of that, we experienced uh, a strengthening of our faith that we just had never had before. Um, to know that we can trust God in every aspect of our lives. And, and we personally needed that. Um, and it was a, a, an area that was kind of um, private. It wasn't, it wasn't something that people knew about but it, God didn't, he loved us too much to let us stay that way. I love their vulnerability. I love the vulnerability of two individuals and a family who just said, you know what, we're not doing what it is that, that God's called us to do, and so we want to change this about ourselves. And wouldn't it be awesome if everything we're talking about over this series, if you could actually ingrain this in your kids, and if you could actually have this kind of same thing when you were a kid, that it wouldn't be so hard to, to have this internal battle that you've got going on right now if this wasn't ingrained in you when you were a kid. And so we've thought about that. We've thought about it so much, in fact, that, that in our kids' ministry, in, in uh, you know, elementary age, your, your kid today is going to get one of these. 
It's an envelope, and it's called the Give, Save, Spend Initiative. And inside here is an opportunity for you to teach your kids how to give and how to save and how to spend. There's envelopes, or there's a, a baggies in here that you'll, you'll put 10% in and 10% and then, you know, the 80%. It's an opportunity for you to in, ingrain this into your kids so that they will make it a priority as well to give. I love our kids' ministry and what they're able to do in order to uh, teach this across the board. And so today when you pick up your elementary age kids, you're going to get that. We need to learn... If we don't already know, we need to learn that giving first matters because the order does matter. And you say, well, Ryan, what if I don't have it? You know when you have it, okay? You know when you have it? Right when you get it. That's when you have it. You're already tithing something. You're already tithing your income to something, whether it's a mortgage or retirement or college tuition or a car. You're already giving 10% to something. Why not start with God first? Because here's why, here's why has nothing to do with money, okay? Hear me, nothing to do with money. has everything to do with your heart. What does it say to your heart when you take care of yourself first? What does that say to your heart? Thank you, God, for serving me. Flip that on its head. Here, God, I'm shifting my allegiance to you right off the top. What's that say to your heart? Number three, give every time. Give every time because we learn from experience and habit. Anybody in this room ever gotten into shape by doing a push-up every other month? Anybody? We know this, right? We get this. We learn not by watching other people do push-ups. We don't go to the gym and go, so that's how you do a push-up. Cool. I'm in shape now. That doesn't work. We don't learn by going and seeing the eye. We don't, we don't learn by the idea of a push-up. No, we learn from experience. We learn from habit. It's why you tell your kids, say thank you every time. Brush your teeth every day. Make a plan and don't deviate from it. Give every time. And let me say this, okay? If you aren't currently giving and you hear this 10% and you're going, man, 10%, I don't know if I can do that. Try this, okay? Try this. Just, just this. Pick a percent and stay with it. Just pick a percent. You say, well, Ryan, there's going to be months that are going to be hard. I know. And how will you know that God is trustworthy unless you actually give him space to show up? There's others of you in the room that you're like, it's about time we said something about this. I've been given my whole life, and I'm glad that someone's finally talking about it. Coming for you. Give beyond comfort because we don't grow in comfort. Case in point, this past weekend, I took 97 middle school students to 6th to and 7th grade winter camp. I got about four hours of sleep total. <laughs> Serious. Got home Sunday afternoon. My wife looks at me and she's like, the kids are yours. I've had them for a weekend. I'm like, awesome. I'm awake. I go to uh, staff retreat on Monday. Our staff, whole Valley Life staff goes to the staff retreat. It's a yearly thing. So again, I'm working on four hours of sleep. I, I arrive at this staff retreat. I come to find out our staff retreat this year is called Growing Together, and we're going to sit in circles and talk about our feelings. Now, here's the deal, okay? Anyone that knows me knows that according to Myers and Briggs, whoever these individuals are, anyone who knows me knows that if I take the Myers-Briggs test, I don't have a heart, apparently. <laughs> I don't fit in the feelings category at all. And so here I am, at this staff retreat, working on four hours of sleep, super pumped to be there, sitting in a circle talking about my feelings. But here's the deal. One of the most refreshing times I had, and here's why, because I don't grow 
in comfortability. I grow out of uncomfortability, and the same can be said when it comes to giving. How many of you have ever walked out of a gym after a good workout and been like, that was like sitting in an easy chair? It's not the same. So we go back to what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. He says, for God is working in you, and God is working in me, and he's giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And there's some of you in the room right now that you're looking at this, and you're kind of internalizing everything, and you're saying, well, I, I understand something. We haven't taken an offering yet. This is all just a bait and switch. This is all just a money grab. I get it now. It's not it at all. It has nothing to do with the money. Hear me, church. It has nothing to do with the money. It has everything to do with your heart. And understand this piece. The best time to do what God is calling you to do is right away. See, the measure of a worthwhile service or the measure of a worthwhile message is not whether you agree with the message. It's whether you actually did something about it. You don't become something by agreement. You become something by action. And so here in a moment, we're going to have some action. Here in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. In fact, if you're taking offering today, I'm just going to invite you right now to just go on back and get your buckets, and we're going to take up an offering here in just a second. Because we're going to do something about this. And I want you to know something. This isn't a time where we're going to take up an offering, we're going to count it and say, it's not enough, let's take it around again. No. No. Because it's never been about the money. It's about your heart. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about the priorities of your heart. And so if you say that you want to move from selfish to generous, if you say you want to be about Jesus and others and not just yourself, if that's who you really want to be, then some of us are going to have to actually act on that. In a world where we want to live as though we're not from here, it's going to take some action steps. And maybe you're here today and you're hearing all of this, and it has nothing to do with money for you. It has everything to do with your own heart. And you're realizing and recognizing that the condition of your heart, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to come into your life to make things right with him. That you're a sinner in, in need of a savior. That you need grace. That you're tired of carrying your guilt and your shame and your sin and your pain. And as you put some stuff in your hands earlier and the weight of it all just began to come down and down and down, you realize what God is capable of doing. And you're like, I want that peace in my life. If that's you, during this time of offering, Brad's going to be right over here by the baptistry. And he would love to talk with you about what it means to actually put your faith and your trust in him. And let me say this. If you're a guest with us, I'm so glad you chose to be here. Feel no obligation to give in this time. This is not a money grab. This is not a bait and switch. This is not an opportunity for us to say, we want your money. This is an opportunity for us to say, we want your desire to be God's desire. And God desires your heart. And so what are the priorities that need to change in order for God to have your full heart? Let's pray and we'll take up an offering together. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we have right here, right now to respond, to respond to who you are and what you've done in us and through us and for us. And so God, today as we give, we give joyfully and generously because you were the greatest giver of all when you gave your son. And God, today, as, as we get to, to sing and worship and as we get to take of communion a little bit later on, God, my prayer is that we would focus on who you are and what you've done in us and through us and for us. God, we love you. And we thank you for this time that we have to respond to you. It's in your name we pray.